On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Last ball, 14 from the last ball. Yes, so Get ready. Right. Christian Tazampa. The Melbourne Renegades somehow have won their first Big Bash title. No one here knows how they've done it, but they have. A 13-run win, the most unlikely of victories for the men in red. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. That was the moment when a Melbourne team won the Big Bash for the first time. Congratulations to the Melbourne Renegades. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel. Friends and enemies call me Menas, and joining me on this podcast, I have Tom, Supercoach Sangster. How are you, Tommy? Yeah, great, and it's good to be back on. It's been a little while since I've been on, but I'm pumped. Yeah, I had to pull you away from your NRL duty, so it's great to have you back talking a bit of cricket. And the other panellist is Daily Telegraph sports writer Joe Barton, not to be confused with the footballer Joe Barton. Joe, how are you? Nor the US Senator Joe Barton, who uh, possibly is even worse, the worst of the three of us. But um, I've also not been on all summer. I think this is the first time I've You've been, been on. You've been brushed, have you? The first time I've been invited back since before the test, the test series against India. It's not because I don't want you on the show, Joe. It's just you, you are an all-rounder. You're your sort of uh, Glenn Maxwell of the, the Telegraph Sports Department. You can do your tennis. You can do your uh, cricket. You can do anything. You've been floating around the country NRL. as well, mate. You're hard to get these days. I've, I've never been compared to Glenn Maxwell. But that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Yeah, a few low scores in there. That, that, that's Huge Maxi fan, though. Huge Maxi fan. That's what's important. <laughs> All right. So, listeners, in today's podcast, we're going to review the Big Bash finals. We're going to wrap up the week of cricket headlines, including some interesting comments made by the head of the International Players Association about the use of stump mics. I think that's quite interesting. And then to wrap it all up, to bring it home, we're going to look ahead at what's to come. But let's start with the Big Bash Finals. Uh, let, let's go back to the beginning and start with the semi-finals because I haven't released the podcast since the semi-finals. So the Hurricanes met the Melbourne Stars at Blundstone Arena in Tasmania. And it really was the curse of the minor premiers coming back again. It's now seven out of eight times the, the minor premier has lost the knockout semi-final. It might need looking at the system. What do you think, Bardo? I don't hate the system. I think it's fine. Like The, the season is that long as it is. Um, and I do appreciate the the idea that you know the Hurricanes were that good. They probably deserve a second crack, but really they're playing at home. I think that's that's reward enough. Although it did come down in many ways to the bat bat flip or bat toss or whatever you call it, because <laughs> the Stars winning the bat toss in that um, in that game made a hu- had a huge influence on the result. So, but I mean potentially they they lose the toss in the in the, in the second game anyway, and they may be playing away from home. So I don't hate it. I don't I don't hate the system. I think the Big Bash. But don't is you long think enough. that if you're the minor premier or second, you can chime in here, Tommy, that you deserve a second chance. And it would mean uh, you could play a 1v2 playoff for the final first. You could promote the grand final more. And it would sort of make more meaning into the regular season. Look, I'm happy with the system the way it is. The, the Hurricanes just weren't good enough. On the day, their best batsmen, uh, the top scorers for the entire tournament, Wade and Short, failed. Then they got nothing out of their two ba- uh, best bowlers as well in Faulkner and Joffre Archer. Who I think looked Archer like might have been injured. injured. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he definitely looked like he was carrying something. I'm happy with the system. It doesn't bother me. It's such a long season. And the only reason we're talking about it is because the Hurricanes were so good during the regular season. Often you don't get a Premier who is that good and that much better than the other teams. We wouldn't be talking about it if... You know, let's say the Stars snuck home, you know, in their last game. You're right. Uh, I thought the Stars played really well in that semi final. As you said, Wade and Short went early. Ben McDermott made a pretty good 53 to get the Hurricanes up to around 140. George Bailey also 
very good yes. knocks in in rebuilding. Like the the two of them almost saved the game in a, in a way, but then the bowlers couldn't really bring any pressure. And they were like twenty or thirty short in the end. The stars did it easy and. Uh, the Stars looked like hot favourites for the final after that performance. Now let's talk about the other semi-final, the Renegades v. the Sixers. The Renegades in, in two great comebacks in this game, let alone the final, which is to come. At one stage, the Sixers were looking set for 200-plus mm. when uh, the Renegades were able to restrict them to three for 180. And I don't think the Sixers played their batting innings very well. They didn't go hard enough at the back end. They had wickets in hand, and you got to make you got to make use of that. Like if you if you've got wickets in hand for the final five overs, you need you need one person set, and they just got to tee off. Yeah, they, they didn't lift the run rate at all until I think there was there was a boundary drought until essentially the last ball. Yeah, they hit when, a six off the last ball, and that got them to one eighty. Yeah, one eighty. I mean, one eighty is definitely a defendable score, but you're right; they should have been looking at two ten. I agree. The Renegades definitely benefited from some from that in both of their finals games, not just against the Sixers, but also in the final as well. If you're in a good position, you just have to go hard. And, and Moses, as much as I love him, came home at about a run a ball, 20-odd at a run a ball. Yeah, 28 or 27, be, yeah, that's not to, good you enough. You need to be going a bit harder at the end. The, the last thing is um, with the Renegades' comeback in that game, Dan Christian, man of the moment, man of the match in the final, smashed 31 off 14 balls, three sixes in the last, I think, three overs to, to win that game from the Renegades when they looked like they weren't going to make it. But the sixes for me were ultimately very, very disappointing. They had a chance to wrap up a home semifinal. They completely fluffed they botched, that. They botched that one. They botched the semifinal. And I think... Ultimately, it was poor leadership from the coach and the captain that did not keep the Sixers on task throughout those key games at the end. And, you know, they took a much publicised golf trip between their second last round game and their last round game. And I just wonder if that affected their focus. Oh, look, it, it could have. Who, know, who knows what happened on that golf trip? But they did have a break in the schedule then. I mean, other teams had a break in the schedule earlier in the season. They could have gone for golf trips then. We weren't talking about that. It's just their break in the season happened to be at a pretty uh, inopportune time for them. But the bowling, I feel, just felt... The bowling was great all year. The batting was not good at all for the entire season except for Dan Hughes. Um, but the bowling Phillip fell over good. and Philip became good. They really um, missed Curran, didn't they, in those absolutely. last few overs against the Renegades. You wonder if Christian would have been able to take apart Curran. Curran, Curran was a massive loss. I mean, he, he was... Arguably the Sixers' best player all year, contributed with Batting the bat and well, ball, yeah. and oh, he's re-signed for another three years, so he's the cornerstone of the Sixers for for the foreseeable future. But you're right, it just they, all they a bit loose for, the for me at the end with the Sixers. You know, yeah, well, oh, we'll get bowled out for seventy when we only need a hundred to secure home semi. Oh, we'll make one eighty, but instead of making two hundred, that'll probably be enough. Well, they executed their bowling plan so well during basically the entire tournament, and guys like Curran was right at the top of the wickets list. Abbott, um, Socko, Keith, and Dorcious were all in the top 10. Their bowling was so good for the entire tournament. And then, unfortunately, uh, right when it mattered, uh, when the whips were cracking, they couldn't get their bowling performance together. And listeners will no doubt notice a tinge of bitterness in my voice because there wasn't a home semi final or final at the SCG. So it felt like the, the cricket season was yanked from under me. It was a personal I, affront. It was a personal affront. I'm going to ask Moses when I see him. Last about that semi-final, they had a low crowd figure for that Renegades home semi-final. I think they only got 15,000 people, which did draw some questions about the, the, the final system and do you need more time to promote the games. But ratings-wise, it's still a TV juggernaut. That game in particular was the highest rated show, 25 to 54 age bracket, 18 to 49 age bracket, and 16 to 39 age bracket on free-to-air television. So despite maybe not having a big crowd, there was over a million people watching it on TV. The TV stats were great, but in terms of going to the games, that pitch at Marvel Stadium, although it did come good for this final, ironically, was just a shocker for the entire tournament. You can't get any good cricket on a pitch like that. Um, So what's the point of going to the game? 
that's that's a massive problem for Australian cricket at the moment is the state of the pitches, not just in the Big Bash but also in Test cricket as well. I agree, and they have to they these, have to improve it on these grounds that are, are AFL grounds. They're not cricket grounds, really. They're just AFL grounds. You do not have they to get converted me, every now and again into into cricket pitches yeah. every now and again. We're gonna have another podcast where Sankster does a deep dive into the state of drop-in pitches, or where I oh, propose oh, that please, AFL yes. should find new grounds to play on, or yeah, yeah, put them on Punt Road. But, uh, but I do think yeah. there is a spot. <laughs> For a, a boutique cricket ground in Sydney and Melbourne that's just for cricket. Yeah, I, I mean, think you've be, got the Junction Oval in Melbourne. It'd be great if they could do something with North Sydney Oval. Mm. Uh, and you can still get a pretty good crowd there. Need, and the women, the women play there. Yeah. And, and the North Sydney really Bears are long crowds. gone, so it's yeah. not being used <laughs> they, in winter. They, they play there every second week. Uh, I get confused <laughs> when you go under the top tier. I wish Ben Horn was here. Hi, Ben. Uh, like, all right. Luckily, he's, a, he's a, an avid listener, so he'll definitely be uh, <laughs> That's not true. Approach, approaching you. He'll be brushing up on his AFL. All right, now to the big final. It was a Melbourne derby, the Stars v. the Renegades, and it was one of the most epic collapses in, in not just Big Bash history, but all cricket finals history. I mean, the this... biggest implosion ever. Uh, at one stage, the... Stars were none for 93, chasing 146 to win, and they fell 14 runs short. They lost 7 for 19 in 30 balls. Have either of you ever seen a, an absolute throw in the towel like that was? This is this was every single South Africa in a World Cup choke combined <laughs> into one yep. in the space of five overs. It was utterly remarkable. I was watch, So I was live blogging this for, for uh, The Telegraph, and essentially the, the, I, was, I was taking the piss out of the commentators because... When um, they were saying, oh, if one wicket could bring two, and then who knows what will happen. I'm sitting there going, well, then Glenn Maxwell comes in, and it's game over anyway. But I was wrong. Mark Wall was bang on. One wicket brought two, which brought six, which brought seven. And you've gone from what was one of the most, you know, it was shaping up to be one of the more boring games of cricket I've ever watched. <laughs> and then... You almost, 20, you almost fell asleep at your 20, desk. 25 minutes later, it's like, I'm actually watching one of the all-time finals, one of the all-time chokes. It was, yeah, 10 out of 10 finish. Just goes to show how important it, it is. And it, I know people, most teams try to bat last in T20 cricket these days. But in a final, runs on the board, so important. Scoreboard pressure, and, all that yeah, sort of thing. And you need clutch players. And Dan Christian is just that clutch player. He is a winner. He's won seven or eight T20 comps over the world. Producers under pr- pressure basically won them the semi and then got man of the match in the final. How good! How good! And and I think that it's no coincidence that he's not playing any four day cricket this year. He's just concentrating on the T twenties and and a bit of one day cricket. And it's definitely paid off for him. He's he's absolutely perfected that kind of aggressive cut over point for six yeah. <laughs> to the full pitch ball. Like the best ball for a death bowler in in T twenty cricket is that wide, slow ball Yorker, because it's just, I mean, that, there's only one place you can hit it, and Dan Christian's worked out how to hit that ball for six. He and should be in the... If, he you should, sh- if you get straight, then he'll, he'll whack you over mid-wicket as well. Is there, any, is there anything you can say to me to suggest why he shouldn't be one of the first players picked in Australia's T20 team next year? Well, I mean, Cup? he should be. He's he showed... 30, he's 36 or something, but my he God. He showed under pressure what he can do, and he's concentrating only on the short-form stuff now, yeah. which is not to be underestimated, because you get players come back. I mean, we saw Marcus Harris come back from test match trying to get straight into T20 mode mm. and it just didn't work for him. It's it's totally different technique to be a batsman or a bowler in T20 cricket compared to um, in test cricket and Christian said that he was now just able to work purely on his slower balls and he's perfect. He's such a good death bowler these days. Apparently he's a great team man as well. Apparently he came off after the, the batting innings and said to, to the group, I think we've got 15 too many and he, he proved right actually. Yeah. Uh, so he just he's a winner. What was amazing about the day was that at one stage, the Renegades were 5 for 65 in the 11th over, batting first. Aaron Finch had been run out at the non-striker's end off Jackson Bird's boot. And just you got the impression that this was all going the Stars' way. And finally, after making, I think, seven of eight semifinals, mm. the Stars would lift the title. But they didn't. The, you know, the most glamorous club in the country has never won the Big Bash. It's now the Stars and the Hurricanes as the only two clubs not to win it. A couple of other talking points. What did you guys make of Glenn Maxwell criticising his openers for maybe being a little bit too sedate in the beginning? I think they were none for 36 off six overs with Duncan Stoinis. And Did Maxwell kind of sh- throw them under the bus? Uh, absolutely not. They needed to go harder for sure. Stoinis 
scoring at a run of ball when you've got 10 in, 10 in hand and, and you're at that point of the game. In a final, you've got to try to win the game at about that 16 over mark, uh, 17 over mark to leave yourself um, a little bit of leeway in case something does happen. You, you lose a few wickets and they just got to the point where they had to go too hard um, with fresh batsmen at the crease and no one had the opportunity to consolidate and get themselves in and get them over the line. They had to come out and swing straight away. Yeah, I actually disagree with that. I, when when Stornis gets out, the run rate is still seven required. Well, that's entirely manageable. I, I had yeah, no but prob- none for you. But no, such- nobody, when, when Stornis gets out, there's not a single person in the country who was going, oh, they're behind the eight ball here. Like they're, they're in trouble if, uh, if if something goes wrong. Probably nobody expected Peter Hanscom to play such a horrible shot. Mm. And Maxwell just hitting one and straight dunk, to the field. Dunk, dunk is the set batsman. He's on his... 54 or something. There's no way, having just lost two wickets, he should be hitting, going aerial straight down the ground. You need to re- consolidate and play the like. You just go. You need to be there at the 15 over mark rather than getting out straight after we've just lost two wickets. But I don't think the 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 openers really can be criticised. They put on 90 odd. I think that's. I think they did their their job. And if anybody of the next seven guys who came in had applied themselves and not thrown their wicket away. The, start, the, start, the stars cricket. would have won. They needed someone like an MS Dhoni who wanted to get the game, you know, to the end. You know, mm. let's nick and nudge and the odd boundary, and you know, with a few overs out, we can have a bit of a crack. Instead, they all went and tried to uh, hit over the infield, and we're just, yeah. I mean, it was a choke. I've never seen. I just like think it. we have to mention the Renegades' bowling attack of Harry Gurney, who was a revelation. <laughs> a revelation. Yeah. To especially the how back Mark end. Mark Waugh called him a fourth-grade cricketer. Yeah, <laughs> likened him to Mr. Bean. Yeah. He couldn't catch. He had a couple of problems under the high ball. Uh, Chris Tremaine, excellent spell. Cameron Boyce took a, a wicket with the last ball of his spell. And that kind of, you could tell the he game. He changed was, it. He took, yeah. he took two for in his final, final over or final two overs and completely changed the game. Before, before he took his wickets... I mean, it was a procession for the stars. So uh, Dan Christian and Kane Richardson all bowled superbly. Massive crowd there at uh, Marvel Stadium. Just a, a super way to finish the Big Bash at the Superhero Stadium. I just want to, before we move on, have a little bit of a chat about what worked and what didn't work in the Big Bash this summer. Uh, did either of you sample Seven and Fox's coverage to be able to compare them? I'm loyal to Fox. Yeah, I did a bit of both. What and did you I think? I thought they were both quite good. Fox, Fox was better. Fox is definitely better. Yeah, I but thought... I, I, it's not like Seven were bad either. And Seven have done a better job than Channel 9 did for <laughs> however many 30 years or whatever it was. I thought uh, Seven had some inconsistent commentary teams. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to start naming them, Phil Tufnell. But some were better than others. Some nights, I reckon, the Big Bash commentary on Seven was... Not nearly as good as the product Channel 10 was offering last year. But I thought Fox was really good. I enjoyed no ads. I actually wasn't sure if you'd really notice. But it, it kind of felt like being at the cricket a bit more because you mentally never left the ground. Uh, and uh, Fox were doing a lot of in-studio commentary throughout the middle of the Big Bash where they would commentate from the studio. And that kind of worked for me. I thought maybe they it wouldn't work. But... I think they seem pretty good at it. So I was happy with both coverages. The average attendance for the season was down by 6,000 per game. Is that a problem, Bardo? It's a bit of a problem. So obviously there's been the likes of um, Andrew Jones and um, Nick Cummins from, from Tassie who've been talking talking the game up. Nick Cummins just, on the podcast two episodes ago. So they, they point to the overall figures, which are up. Obviously there were extra games and that sort of thing. And that is a good thing. I think we should be a little bit concerned that crowds are down. Of, of you've got the figure here, down by six thousand per game. That's a lot. That, that's that's that's, a, that's not an insignificant number. If over the course of a season you have got more people through the gate, that's obviously very good. But you start to get to the point where you say, should we have tried to get to that figure, but still have the still have the grounds more full each time? So maybe take away eight games and have that attendance stay. The attendance average stay the same. But um, the overall attendance to equally still get to this the level we've got it's it, it's a concern you you can't you can't ignore the fact that crowds down being is is a concern. The season was definitely too long. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Stretching it to that um, amount of games just lost all the momentum, yeah. and it was so slow at the end of the season. The, the gaps between um, games at the end of the year just didn't work, and and then the you know the finals getting at the same played at the same time as. Preseason rugby league games yeah. and, and AFL games. It doesn't make sense. Like we're we're cricket tragics, and I was getting to the point where I had fatigue from yeah, hundred percent. 
mid January, I was struggling. You know, early January, I was struggling with how much, and I'd finish the day of test cricket and go, I actually don't even know if I do want to watch the Big Bash this, this evening because ridiculous. I'm ridiculous. There's nothing better you're than di- you're different. a day of test cricket than with a Big Bash game. You're you're, like, a, you're a different you're a different beast, but different breed. But I started to like when when the finals did arrive, I was back in because I'd had that three week where mentally I kind of almost checked out and. By the time the finals came round, I think possibly some of the teams had done the same as me, and they were actually yeah. they were actually getting back exciting. And there was a, there was a three day break where I was furious because there was there was no big bash on. I'm like, I finally got back into it, and there's three days without it on. So maybe they wet my appetite quite well. But um, mm. I was I was pumped by the time the finals came round. I think that the fixturing did have some obvious problems. One that stands out for me was the SCG had a Sixers game the night before schools went back to school, and I think mm. they got. 8,000 people there, and that's going to bring the average down, whereas, you know, they had a Derby, a Thunder Sixers Derby a week later, and and Mm. they had good 30,000 there. So I just think they need to fine-tune the schedule a bit. I don't think having, you know, massive crowds is as vital as we think it is. I think as long as they can keep a good attendance level, you're just not going to get massive crowds at every home game if you have seven home games. But I love massive crowds. It, it changes the, it changes the. I, I think it can change the game. If you have, if you've got an empty stadium, I think the players play to that level sometimes. If you, you have, can always tell when there's a really tight shot on the crowd. Yeah. If it's an empty stadium. <laughs> but <laughs> it's if it's like one section. But if you have a massive crowd and they're making noise and it's not kind of not not that artificial pumped out noise, I reckon the players recognise that and the quality of cricket honestly lifts. Quality quality of any sport lifts when uh, when you've got a big crowd. All right, so a couple of other things. Did the bat flip work? I'm going to say yes, but purely because it made no difference to me. The bat flip, bat to- coin toss makes no difference. But we did see two of the more amusing bat flips where the flip was just out of control and nearly killed, kill, cameraman. Ki- killed cameraman. And for that for that reason alone, I'm, I'm saying yes. It's, it was, or the it was one that- where it got stuck. Yeah. On, on in the middle. Like- They're hilarious. I've never I've never seen I've never seen a person taken out by a coin toss. Regional venues. Did you two think that taking the game to um, areas outside metropolitan areas is good for the competition? Despite they did have to cancel a game in Alice Springs and re- and move it to the Adelaide Oval because the outfield wasn't up to scratch. But I really enjoyed when you turn it on and they're at Mo, pretty scenery, or uh, in Launceston they had a couple of games, Canberra, that out of the way place. Um, what do you think? I'm 100% into it. Geelong got a couple as well. Anytime there's any sport played in a regional centre, it's massive for the town. And I think it looks good on TV. You can see that everyone's pumped. It's made their weekend. Um, you know, It's made their month to have all these stars in town. And that comes across on the TV. Agree. Uh, standalone women's Big Bash finals. I mean, I don't even have to ask you. They were a massive hit. You had two, two days at Dremoyne that I think anyone that was there will never forget. Two semi-finals, just absolute thrillers, it, and then yeah, a great final. Definitely helped that the um, the games themselves were among the, among the closest finishes you could ever imagine, and the catch on the boundary um, by the heat was. I mean, that's 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 the highlight of the summer in many ways. Mm, that game, de- de- definitely. Uh, the one that probably they have to fine tune is Christmas Eve cricket. It seemed to work in Hobart, but not at in Sydney at the Thunderground. They got a good crowd in Hobart, but not at Spotless. So. They need to work out whether Christmas Eve suits a, a place like Sydney and Melbourne where everyone's busy getting ready for the next day. Maybe that's better off in a regional centre. All right, so we're going to have a quick break and then come back with all the cricket headlines. I do, while Tom Sangster's here, just need to a little bit of an apology. Uh, obviously, I was very confident going into Supercoach BBL this year that I was going to win. I, I fell about 35,000 places short of that ambition. Tommy, yeah, obviously it's harder than I thought. Yeah, I mean, you were convinced at the start of the year that you were going to take out the entire thing. You were asking um, what the rules were as a News Corp employee, whether you could take yeah. home the cash prize. <laughs> You'd already started but counting the cash. I spent it, unfortunately. Obviously, the, I mean, I, I can't understand how you actually went so badly given you watched so much cricket. But you, just the effort wasn't put in by the men as madmen, unfortunately. I'll be honest with you, I started doing two podcasts a week and then I missed a couple of deadlines to fix my team and I was so upset, I sort of, you know, was, I was gutted. I mean, I thought I was going to win and I missed the deadlines, and, but it was a great competition. What about NRL Supercoach? That's kicking off soon and Supercoach yeah, AFL yeah. for those Victorians. Yeah, so if you, if you love the BBL, BBL Supercoach, by the way, massive success. Last time we had 35,000 people on, 
This time we got 90,000 people on. So it's more than double what we did last time. So huge success. A lot of it was on the back of Shane Warne's commentary and, and pumping it up during the Fox coverage. And we've got a similar thing coming up this year for NRL. Anthony Minicello's the face of the game. The full Fox commentary crew will be on as well. So look out for that. And in terms of AFL, John O'Brown is the face of the game. And again, the John o- Jonathan Brown. Yeah, never heard of him. I literally, I, I don't know who you're talking about. He would have gone all right in rugby league, actually, John Yeah, he's a, big, he's big a big unit. unit. Yeah, he was in here for a photo shoot the other day and he's spread... Oh, massive, massive unit, and still fit. Even he's retired, hasn't he? He still looked fit as looked he like retired he could like play. five years ago. He looked yeah. like he could play. He honestly looked like he could play. <laughs> Tom and I are uh, <laughs> wealth of AFL knowledge. So uh, the Fox commentary team will be on for AFL. So there's going to be supercoach.com.au. Supercoach.com.au. All right. So if you enjoyed Supercoach BBL and you like NRL or AFL, go on to it, and hopefully you can beat Tommy Sangster because I didn't in the BBL. So I'm looking forward to next season. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I'll have Pat Cummers talking on the podcast. But before that, I just want to remind you, if you have a moment, please go on to whatever app you listen to the show on and rate and review the show and tell all your cricket-loving friends about the podcast. And, you know, most people have the Spotify app, so if they don't have a podcast app, uh, Spotify is a great way to listen to podcasts. All right, coming up after the break, the cricket headlines. Do you have an overarching philosophy about the way you approach your career? I mean, I think a philosophy that's, I guess, drilled into me from probably a combination of, you know, my parents and growing up in a big family, but also just the injuries I had was just never looking too far ahead. I think in the past, I've probably stressed out a bit or got worked up about a certain performance, thinking too far ahead, thinking of the end goal or whatever. For me now, I guess I'm I'm where I want to be. I'm, I'm in decide for pretty much all three formats it's just about trying to perform every every time I go out there so I guess the, the philosophy is just you, know, you can think about the future but just trying to be present as much as possible each day just trying to nail that test match that day you know that spell and this summer is going to be no different we've got the Ashes we've got the World Cup next year but when you're out running out the SCG for a, a spell you're not thinking about that you're, you're thinking about the couple of balls that are coming up and how to get this guy out so I think just trying to nail that down and make sure that I kind of remember that all those times I missed out you know all those appreciate it yeah just 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 keep appreciation you're listening to the cricket unfiltered podcast I'm Menas. I'm here with Joe and Tom and that was the world's number one fast bowler talking about his approach to playing cricket and uh I just think we should take a moment now to chat about the amazing achievement of Pat Cummins being the world's number one fast bowler, the first Australian to do so since Glenn McGrath in 2006. Just uh, a fitting reward for a great year for Pat Cummins. Yeah, huge effort from him, but I still can't work out how he gets so many wickets because his entire tactic to bowling is the total opposite of what anyone is taught gets about 12 to 13% of his wickets bowled only. Whereas you've got guys like, you're told to bowl at the stumps. He never bowls at the stumps. He doesn't get LBs or bowled at all. Massive proportion of his wickets are caught and caught behind. Whereas you get someone like Mitchell Stark, who gets about 40% of his wickets bowled at LB. Glenn McGrath, the bloke who he's overtaken, is around that 30%. Most fast bowlers are around the 30%. Pat Cummins is about 12%. I just cannot understand how he gets so much wickets. It goes totally against everything you're taught, but good on him. He's worked out a niche for himself, and probably one of the reasons why he does get so many wickets is that he's different to everyone else. Pure pace and aggression is Mm. pretty much the key. You think of how many times he drops it short and has somebody fending away to... Well, none of his balls hit the stumps. Yeah, I know. Well, they're all all aimed at the shoulders. (laughs) But Pat Cowens is one one of the great tales of redemption or injury comebacks. Rebirth. The rebirth, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back... Only, what, three years, I remember sitting uh, in a, well, three, maybe three and a half years, I remember sitting in a rugby union press conference in England talking to a, <sighs> talking to a couple of blokes who were talking, were talking about Pat Cummins and generally the discussion was, why doesn't he retire? Like he's, it, doesn't, it didn't at any point look like he was ever going to come back and deliver on the promises that we thought we'd seen as a 19-year-old. And I was like, maybe, maybe he should just retire. I but thought he might be a T20 gun. I thought he might not have be able to play first-class cricket a few years ago. Exactly. And look at him now. You can't imagine the Australian cricket team without Pat Cummins. He's, I mean, he, he was installed as an, a, an interim 
vice captain this summer um, against Sri Lanka. But he is he is he should be the team's vice captain. He's he's an integ- he's as integral as any member of that team. He's as as the stats show, project, he's the best bowler in the world. The image and the sort of face that we want Australian cricket to have. Hundred percent, very but, handsome face. But purely purely as a player, I mean, he's, he's an almost flawless fielder. Think of it, he's, he's run out on the last was it last uh, last over in Adelaide and um, as a bowler, top shelf, and as a batsman, he's as dedicated and technically perfect as as but anybody just back in the to team. Your point, Tommy. You know, you sort of look at the people on the list, Kogiza Rabada, you know, bowls quicker than Cummins and he swings the ball. You know, you can see he's dangerous. Uh, Jim, Jimmy Anderson just moves the ball around corners, uh, swinging it every which, every which way. Whereas Pat Cummins doesn't jump out at you like that, does he? He's been kind of consistent, unassuming, almost a little bit like Glenn McGrath. Just hits that spot, little bit of movement, little bit hostile and just always on the money. So. I'm, I'm interested to see where he is on the world all-rounders list as well because he must be relatively high on that, averaging mid-20s with the stick. Yeah, handy player. Let's move on now to the cricket headlines brought to you by Sydney's The Daily Telegraph. You can keep up with all the cricket news at dailytelegraph.com.au forward slash sport. Uh, just one thing about the Daily Telegraph. Sometimes when you flick through the, the newspaper version, you, you sort of have to go past 15 pages of NRL and then there might be a little bit of cricket. But actually online, there's a lot of cricket always. Like it's it's constantly uh, digital content and cricket articles. News Corp have a huge network that they, they call on, but you don't often see it in the paper. So I just want to point that out to the listeners. All right, so the Cricket Awards night was... Uh, Held last week, we've we've spent enough time talking about Pat Cummins, but he was the AB medalist, the first time he's won that award, and a fitting Alan Border medalist. Elisa Healy was the Belinda Clark medalist, and I'm so happy she won because she had such a good season, and I was lucky enough to have her on the podcast sort of heading into the beginning of the season, and she looked in cracking fitness. Uh, she'd been made captain of New South Wales, so she was... You could tell she'd sort of been inspired by the leadership. And I just think we're seeing her sort of turn a corner now and, and be one of the best players in the world. She's a gun. She was she was great in the World Cup. Um, what I love about it, she's so funny. Yeah. And she's so cheeky. She does having a crack. She'll say something, you know, a little bit edgy. She's like good, on, good on social media. She's, yeah, she's... Mate, she's she's a she's a cracker. She's um a superstar player. Tommy might have some words to say about her glove work, but um, glove work is very very good. Yeah. I have to say, um, definitely matches it with some of the males in in that department for sure. And she was a worthy winner. She went home with three awards. One um, of my favourite cricketers running around at the moment. I'm not going to read out all the awards, but this year the, they gave out the Community Champion Award for the first time, and. Uh, very worthy winner in Moses Enriquez. He was uh, given that for his uh, openness about his battles with uh, mental illness. So fantastic for him to get that award. Uh, I, I thought it was strange. There was not one mention of sandpaper or even a little joke during the awards night. My idea was that they give everybody yellow napkins uh, instead of white ones. It's possibly still, still a sore point, I guess, Menace. <laughs> and then uh, some of the other things that Stood out, Adam Zamper and Marcus Stoinis were looking pretty fashionable in their crazy suits. Peter Siddle had the roving microphone. I'm not sure why I they didn't. I thought he'd actually... have the microphone that would be a banana, putting it in people's faces. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't get someone like a comedian or an entertainer to do that. rather than um... Could have given it to you, Manners. You could have run around with yeah, the mic. Absolutely. That's... I have to get on to Next that. year. Next year. That's right. I might have been that idiot that dropped a sandpaper joke, though. <laughs> Had my mic pulled halfway through. Yeah, been the it, it, Brendan Favola of the uh, Brownlow <laughs> Awards a few years ago. Yeah, men is seventeen glasses uh, glasses deep. Yeah, but I would say of all the Australian Cricket Awards night, that was certainly on the low end of the scale, entertainment wise. They do they do wildly vary. I, I sort of watch every year. It's kind of like a morbid fascination with how bad the night's going to be. The, uh, yeah, it went by without a hitch, but it was certainly. Unless you're a cricket nuffy like me, you wouldn't watch it. No. As evidenced by Joe not watching it. So, next headline. Ricky Ponting has been appointed assistant coach of Australia until the World Cup. And I think they're going to kind of split the role. He's going to do the 50-over stuff and they'll probably have someone else handling this test side preparation. 
I mean, great appointment. Fantas- yeah, I think fantastic it's good. Yeah. You obviously know, um, and you listen to him in commentary, he obviously knows the game better than probably anyone in the world, which is strange because when he was captain of Australia, he caught so much criticism. And I personally and, thought, yeah. I honestly thought he was one of the uh, least best, the, the yeah. least best tactical Well, they probably asked Steve or Mark Taylor, had. Alan Border all first. And yeah, then, and, and so he used to cop so much flack over his tactics. And now he's getting picked up as a specialist coach for hire around the world, really, not just not just for the Australian team. But it, you, you look at um, the current Australian team. If you, I mean, you, you've both been to games. You see when punter walks around, if, if the Aussie team is training, it's like the, the kids playing for Australia, they revere him as a god and they hang off every single word. Like He's, he's, he's so well-respected within the Australian camp that um, every, anything he says will be, will be gobbled up and... Yeah, te- technically, when you're talking about um, a guy who's going to refine your batting technique, I don't know who else I'd want to listen to than Ricky Ponting. And also, he played in the 99 World Cup, which is in England, so he sort of knows the conditions. Justin Langer, I think, played eight one-day internationals for Australia, so doesn't have the international experience that Ponting has. Here's an interesting storyline, though. David Saker, Australia's assistant coach, left quite suddenly. I don't know if you heard, but the English assistant coach, Paul Fabrace has resigned from his position. Could David Saker join the enemy for the World Cup and the Ashes? I mean, if he would go back to the England squad, that would be a great pickup for them. He'd have all the current intel. Well, it's happened before in the Ashes, hasn't it? Was it, was it Troy Cooley Troy who Cooley, yeah. um, took us down in, was it, I think it was 05. So, look, it's happened Mint before. Mintgate. Mintgate. The original yep, Mintgate. Yeah. Okay, so now the next headline Staying uh, in the English camp, Joe Root has uh, won the plaudits from uh, everybody around uh, the cricket community for the way he responded to a a sledge from Shannon Gabriel. Shannon Gabriel said to Root, why are you smiling at me? Do you like boys? Root said, don't use it as an insult. There is nothing wrong with being gay. And uh, Gabriel earned a four-match ODI suspension for that comment. I mean, it really is a minefield, these kind of um, issues, because there are different cultures and different laws around the world. For example, in the West Indies, a lot of countries there, it's still actually illegal to be gay. So it, it is hard on on the field how the ICC is going to police this, but I think they got this one right. It's it's definitely hard to police, but you're, my, my view on this is just giving high praise to, to Joe Root. He's with however many words, what that's seven words. He said kind of the, the perfect response, the perfect shutdown to any of these kind of insults. And I know these sort of insults do come about quite frequently on the on the cricket pitch. If the stump mics stay up, then no doubt we'll hear bits and pieces. They said there were suggestions during the Ashes last year that that sort of stuff was being um, thrown in someone's direction. This is the perfect response, in my opinion. 10 out of 10 work from, uh, from Joe Root. I just love that the stunk mice are turned up so loud these days in cricket and you can hear everything that's going on. The exchanges between Pant and... Um, We're definitely going to get to that as well. Yeah, okay. No, no, no I just don't. Oh. I, I want to get into the stunt mic. I but thought I was getting shut down. No, no I just think that <laughs> it, it, it is important to cricket to promote a, an inclusive environment for LGBT communities and uh, these sort of events bring it to light. What about, though, the West Indies beating England in the Test Series 2-1? I mean, that was just such a great boost for me. I mean, I love seeing England lose. I have this absolute... <laughs> I hadn't noticed that, actually. ...pure joy when they go down. And to, to lose to the West Indies, and now you'd have to say that, you know, they're not that good a side. Like, Australia has a chance in the Ashes. Not, not a big chance but we certainly have a chance. That English side is rife with top-order batting problems. Yeah, I mean, England at home is a totally different... Yeah, any any team at home, it's basically impossible. It's pretty much impossible to win away from in Mm. test cricket at the moment, and everyone seems to win at home. So that's just the trend at the moment. England at home on those pitches. Dangerous. Jimmy Anderson and... and How good for the West Indies to knock them off. I I actually did a story on um, Jason Holder this week. I saw that, very good. In which I spoke to Stuart Law about how... Firstly, about how good Jason Holder is and kind of what he, the brilliant work he's done. Give us some wisdom, Joe. About well, I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> um, but yeah, essentially he was saying he wasn't surprised that they beat England because this team, man for man, is as talented as any in the world. Jason Holder, already the world's number one ranked um, all rounder in Test cricket, 
but he's done as much as he's done on the field. It's kind of how he's united this this current generation of West Indian cricketers. Feels like we lost a generation to T20 cricket, but Holder, among other people, Stuart Law was one of them when he was the West Indies coach, has really brought this view that Test cricket is the pinnacle again, and I think that's starting to happen with within the West Indies. And that's what. We, and if we see that coming through, you've got super super talented guys. West Indies could one day be a force in Test cricket. There's no reason why they can't be. One thing I know that's happened is the West Indies board are being a little bit more flexible with their fixturing and allowing some of their best players to go and play in T20 comps and still play Test cricket. But also, I think that we do forget the West Indies cricket is not that bad. I mean, they won both World T20 competitions in 2016, uh, the men and the women. They won this test series against England. They're not a force, but they're much more competitive than they were probably five or six years ago when they were at a real low point. This this seems more significant than the T20 World Cup victories, mainly because all their players, well, the problem was that all their players were going away to play these T20 tournaments. So, of course, they're going to be a, a T20 force. A test cricket force is a totally different proposition, and that's what, we, that's, that's what I want to see. I want to see the West Indies... Back at the top of the There is no the test the cricket force. I've got the ratings here. India are on top. They're six points ahead of the second place test side. And in South Africa, England, New Zealand and Australia are all within six points. So it's actually a really tight test ladder at the moment. And you can tell that. You know, Sri Lanka beat South Africa. West Indies beat England. We beat Sri Lanka. India beats us. England beats India. It's really tight. All right, now uh, we touched on the stump mics there, and I just want to do a bit of a deep dive in the use of the stump mics at international level. We saw throughout the summer here Fox Sports and Channel 7 leave the stump mics up, and uh, that was great to hear Pant and Dick Weller and Payne sledging. But the head of the International Federation of Cricket Cricketers Associations, Tony Irish, has said that he believes that it is vital that broadcasters are consistent and universal in how they apply the technology. And we've seen with ball tampering how no home side has been busted by the home broadcaster ball tampering, apart from probably Mike Atherton yeah. back in the 90s. That, that was the last one. Others getting the dirt out of his pocket. Every, every, ever since then, it's all happened overseas. And so could it happen with stump mics now that... You know, if the opposition says something, well, all of a sudden that's going to get played and aired out and they're going to get in trouble. Whereas if your player says something, the home the home broadcaster might just, you know, well, turn I, that down. I presume the home broadcaster um, was the one who got Gabriel in trouble. So it looks like it's already uh, the, the home broadcaster was on board there. Yeah, but what he, what he actually said is uh, that there is a potential for selective use and that's what the players fear. So is it a valid fear, I guess? I, th- I think it is. I think the, the best usage of it is such as when, when Fox goes, we're going to listen in for this over. And that's not selective at all. That's, they're not saying, all right, Payne, we're coming in this over, so put your best sledge out there. It's just, this is what's happening. It, this is as it is. So the players... Isn't it, the, the are players they told that, that it's turned up? It's, but it's turned up. They're told that it could be turned up at all times. There's, there's no like directive going, all right, next time there's an over of spin, we're going to listen in. You just have to. You just have to assume that it, everything you say is going to be heard. Whether that, um, and I understand the point of the selective use of it. So you might go, "This is what we heard five overs ago," and that'll be that will be suspect. But I didn't see any of that this summer. The only stuff that we heard was stuff that was stuff that was happening live. And even even the Joe Root Shannon Gabriel thing, that wasn't. They didn't get retrospectively go, "Oh, we heard this a couple of overs ago." Mm-hmm. It was. Ha- it happened between balls, and the stump mics were always up, and it happened to be near the umpire. That's why we heard it in the live broadcast. What about if a player blows up, you know, a fast bowler steaming in, he's, he's, you know, in the middle of a hot spell, he's tired. And he drops an F-bomb. And, you know, he, yeah, he might, he might bowl a ball, Virat Kohli gets an edge, first slip drops a dolly, and he goes, ah, oh, F this, or whatever. That's fine. Who, you, who cares? It's, it's raw emotion. That's what... The know, broadcaster apologises, so sorry you heard that, but, you know, this is, this is uh, the passion of the life sport. If you, were to, if you were to find that bloke, I'd be furious. It does certainly change some elements of the game. I mean, the players now have to be very wary about what they say on the field. And I don't think that's a bad thing by any means. I think it was, you know, an outdated concept to think that you could say whatever you want on the field. But, you know, I think there is this issue that it could be, say the South African broadcaster catches someone saying something from an opposition team that's really hot. 
whether it's bordering on, you know, some of the stuff we've touched on, and they let that out, that's going to cause a lot of problems for that player. I just think that's that's the issue that they have to work through, a, a sort of a policy by the ACC that mandates how this is going to be applied. I just wish the stump mics were turned on back in the day, the mental disintegration days of <laughs> Steve, Steve War <laughs> and like Matty Hayden and all those guys, just to hear what they would have said. Yeah, I would love that. I mean, I've all been, I've been saying for a couple of years on a podcast, I would love the stump mics up all the time and have a sort of uh, a restricted age feed that um, <laughs> just for adults. So that was the week of cricket headlines. We are almost at the end of this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. We're going to take our last break and then we're going to have a quick chat about, well, we're going to go around the world, really, a couple of results from around the world and look ahead at what cricket's to come. Oh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be a dream come true. Playing against England in England um, is something that I think every every kid aspires to. So, you know, there's plenty of water to go under the bridge before that. But you know, if that opportunity did arise, it'd be, you know, a, a once in a lifetime thing. And you know, I'd think I'd grab it with both hands. Hopefully, if that, that if it did come up. That was one of Australia's newest Test players, Curtis Patterson, talking about the Sheffield Shield games that are coming up, and they really do loom as a, a shootout for the Ashes. In fact. You know, over the next few months, you've got the the Shield shootout and you've got the the squad, the Australian one-day squad in India that are vying for World Cup spots. So uh, coming up uh, this weekend, you've got two T20 matches and five a five-match ODI series between India and Australia. And both Sheffield Shield and ODIs are so meaningful this time because spots to England in both formats are on the line. Yeah, I'm pumped for it and hopefully... We can listen to your dulcet tones in the commentary during the Sheffield Shield later on. Yes, I should be commentating on New South Wales v Victoria at Dremoyne Oval. So can't wait for that one. Okay, so before we go, a couple of bits of news that, Barta, you wanted to touch on this. We may have seen the greatest ever test victory last week when Kusil Pereira and Vishwa Fernando put on 78 for the last wicket to chase down South Africa's total. It's the highest ever 10th wicket partnership to win any first-class match. Kusil Pereira played and was 153 not out, and it, it's probably one of the best test innings of, it, of all time. What did you make of it, Bardo? It was sensational. As, as good a test victory as I've ever had the great fortune of watching. It kept me up until about 1.30 in the morning, but, um, and I did doze off at one point. And I remember waking up and they needed seven runs to win. I was like, oh, I've, I've timed this beautifully. But initially I started watching it thinking, this will be good. I'll try, hopefully this guy, hopefully Pereira tees off and I can watch him get his 100. Never in my mind were they a chance of, um, I mean, they're coming up against two of the greatest bowlers of the past 20 years in Rabada and Dale Steyn. If you, if you told me Dale Steyn was going to get 20 overs to bowl at a world number 11 and he couldn't get him out, I would, I'd lose my mind. That's, that's just pure insanity which is what made this victory so special. And you could see what it meant to the, uh, the Sri Lankan players. They'd had a tough time. They've had a tough time pretty much everywhere they've gone recently. They obviously struggled in Australia. And I mean, Pereira well. was smacked in the head by Jai Richardson at Marnica Oval and well, he carried got, off. He got smacked by Rabada here. It looked, uh, he got hit on the wrist, I thought, and looked like he was going to have to retire hurt. So, And that was before he got to his 100. So really just pure guts from, from these the two, um, the two batsmen who got there in the end and just a special victory for Sri Lanka. I, I, you can't imagine a better victory for... In Sri Lankan cricket history. If they win or draw the second test, Sri Lanka will be the first ever Asian side to win in South Africa. Wow. that's that's If they did that after India winning here, it would be a big achievement. A couple of things stood out to me from that chase. What I liked about Kusil Pereira, as it got to the the total got closer, he didn't freeze up. He actually went for it. He accelerated. So, So many batsmen in that situation or players get paralysed by fear and nerves. And we saw in the Big Bash that exact thing happen, whereas Pereira's hitting Rabada and staying onto the hill in Durban for six. And then there was a moment where there was five overthrows. Fernando, I think he hit one and they went for a quick single and Duplessis threw at the stumps and it went... He would have been out by miles if he'd hit Duplessis, but it was a mm. shocking throw. Went for four overthrows, five off the ball. I think... Uh, Pereira hit a six on that over, and then it's when I then I start to think actually these guys could do it because you know Pereira's playing with no fear, very brave innings, and I love seeing the South Africans get beaten. I can't <laughs> as much as England. 
probably more like specifically in a choke. I mean, this is this is yep. this is one of the all-time chokes. Yep, absolutely. You you said it there. Just very enjoyable, and I think uh, probably will live in the memory of Sri Lankan cricket fans for decades to come. Forever. Yes, forever. Let's keep going around the world. The Pakistan Super League is underway. Dean Jones is the coach of the defending champs Islamabad United. Uh, Chris Green, Shane Watson, Farwed Ahmed and Luke Ronke are some of the Aussies over there. The other stars include A.B. de Villiers, Andre Russell, Carlos Brathwaite and Shahid Afridi. Now, I tweeted out the other day, I'm 40, around 40. Shahid Afridi might have been playing cricket my whole life life like it feels like he's been playing cricket his whole life and then i went back i think he made his one day international debut in 94 yeah 25 years ago and he's still playing he will never retire boom boom loves it loves it uh, but one thing about this they've got ab de villiers and andre russell in pakistan we couldn't get them here for the big bash because mm. we've got these issues with the salary cap the season's way too long so we can't attract these these guys to get across they play half the amount of time and probably get double the money over in Pakistan. It's Ridiculous actually, situation. There was an article coming out uh, maybe yesterday or today that Cricket Australia have taken note of my suggestion. Oh. They didn't actually put that in the article, yeah. but I'll infer that. And uh, looking at a marquee fund, you know, yeah, obviously I put happen. this to Nick Cummins a couple of weeks ago and he's taken it to Cricket Australia. It has to happen. Um, I mean, it happens in, you know, A-League in a lot of sports. It just simply has to happen because the Big Bash did lack that little bit of star power. If we could have got A.B. de Villiers here. Dre Russ was such a hit when he was at the Thunder a couple of years ago. Let's get the best of the best out here. How good would it have been to see uh, A.B. de Villiers rocking up for the sixes, yep. rocking that magenta and just hitting sixes into the SCG? And they would have had probably 5,000, 10,000 extra people almost at every game because of that. Well, he's he's as, as exciting a batsman as there is in the world. All right, guys, that's all the news in the cricket world. Tommy, Joe, great to have you back on the podcast. Pretty pumped for these one days over in India. I was starting to feel the, the cricket sort of ebb away and there was a sort of sadness coming over me, especially the day after the Big Bash is always a tough day for me. What about, do you ever get that sort of post-Big Bash is blues? It Blue Monday or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah just lack I was, of cricket. Mate, I'll, to be totally honest, I was glad it was over. Oh, it dragged man. on. It dragged on for so long. He only says that because he's so pumped for the um, for the ODI. Like he's going to be up. Sanks oh, is going to be up all night. Indian ODIs. I'm pumped. All right, listeners. Well, you've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered. I've been your host, Andrew Mensel. You had Joe Barton from the Daily Telegraph, Tom Sankster, Super Coach Guru, uh, with you today, and we'll be back next week with another podcast. Uh-huh.